last week that it means to grow both intellectually and relationally. And I shared often, I think, uh, we are a little bit oblivious. Well, what does it mean to grow relationally? We certainly know intellectually, but what about relationally? I want to really capsulize all last week and continue to build upon it by saying that life is God's disciple-making laboratory. Life, the life you experience, the life you are engaged with, the life that you experience here now, but also when you leave this room, is God's disciple-making laboratory. I explained last week the difference really between a classroom and a laboratory. The classroom is critical, it's important, it's a prerequisite. It's the foundation. It's where you cultivate a breadth of knowledge. But it's the laboratory where you build the depth of knowledge. And for us to make healthy disciples of Jesus Christ, we got to give attention to both breadth and depth, both the classroom but also the laboratory. And I'm suggesting that life is that laboratory. That is where the depth of your walk and understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that's where it gets forged, hammered out, purified, clarified. Life provides countless lessons Every day you go to about your task, the laboratory is alive and you can learn incredible lessons about yourself and your relationship with God. So it tells us to never stop growing. Howard Hendricks, an old Christian educator um, that I read, he would tell people, I'd rather people drink from a running stream than a stagnant pond. See, life gives you the opportunity to be in this process of continuing to develop and grow and mature as a follower of Jesus Christ. Never stop growing. Derek started that first Sunday saying, there's more. Uh, treat that as a great adventure, as a great challenge that God gives you that we are to be about during this season. We talked about in the uh, education hour of this time where we're still on this earth, but we're looking towards the future. We're in God's laboratory to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to mature in that. Today, I want to just quickly look at specific examples how Jesus Christ leveraged life, how he tapped into life and things that were embedded in life to stimulate followers to become disciples of Jesus Christ. So the first one, John 1. The first one is, you know, Jesus Christ starts this adventure of rescuing the world in a very uh, unexpected way. You would think he might go to the Grecian Acropolis or to the Roman Forum amongst the elite, the powerful. You'd think he might begin in the Alexandria, Athens, Antioch, or Jerusalem. But where does he begin? 
in a desert, in a wilderness, with probably by the world's status, nobodies. The wilderness for the Jews represented barrenness. Remember when they were not trusting God and they went 40 years in the wilderness? They were parched lips. They were dry. They were thirsty. They were hungry. It was so bad. They got so hungry, so hungry, that they were willing to go back into bondage into Egypt just to have that satisfied. Barrenness makes hunger and thirst come to the surface. Things get clarified that clutter our life and that confuse, and all of a sudden it creates this hunger and thirst for something that will truly satisfy. Jesus Christ tells a woman at the well who is thirsty, and notice how Christ does this, how he always draws people to a, a, a deeper understanding, deeper knowledge of him, how he draws him by telling the lady that was thirsty who is thinking of literal water, and he says, whoever drinks of me will never thirst again. You have to be hungry. And so Jesus Christ goes about making disciples, and so I have this reflection question at the end, does barrenness in your life, because life, I think we can think about life as a wilderness sometimes because of our experiences, and we have these seasons of life where there feels to be a barrenness, a dryness. Does it create anger and resentment in you or hunger for something that will satisfy beyond a temporal gratification? Does it quicken you to look beyond the solutions that maybe the world provides for something that is eternal. Number two, an observation number two. Jesus Christ demonstrates the importance of humility in being a follower of Jesus Christ, in making disciples. Life will forge this in you, humility. You can't help but go through life. I, I get this because in this text here in uh, John chapter one, Jesus Christ, again, is starting his uh, discipleship adventure. He's going to save the world via this uh, uh, agency of disciples, people like you and I called to be followers of Jesus Christ. And he goes to the wilderness, and he's going to be baptized by John the Baptist. Now, why in the world? Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. He is the one that John the Baptist is pointing to. He is God incarnate in the flesh. But he submits himself to this identifying with the followers that John the Baptist is pointing to and is baptized. Uh, you know, coming to earth, we see humility. Jesus Christ baptized to serve as an example for you and I to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, a prerequisite. And wherever you're at today to take the next step, a prerequisite is humility. If Jesus Christ could humble himself, what about you? So I ask this question. 
What beliefs surface in your mind that makes humility a challenge? Undoubtedly, we all have reasons we could give why I have justification for not humbling myself. What is it, that belief, that makes it a, a struggle for you? Identify what that is at the root of it. Because in that struggle, you'll learn more about yourself and your relationship with God. As you make changes so that you can take on more humility, you will find Christ is more imminent in your life. Observation number three, uh, I put Jesus Christ fans the flame of the curious. The curious. Uh, Jesus Christ understands discipleship is a process, an ongoing growth process. Look at verse 35, John 1, chapter 35. The next day, John was there again, and two of his disciples, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Now, I want you to notice something about, he, uh, about this that really speaks the importance of us understanding the re relational aspect of discipleship. Two were disciples of John the Baptist. That means they were being taught by John the Baptist. John is teaching them. Their relationship, uh, these two were so connected with John the Baptist and trusting John the Baptist that when the two disciples heard John the Baptist say this, look, the Lamb of God, they turned and they followed Jesus. See, John the Baptist was so influential in these two people's life that when he announces the Lamb of God, they know what their response is. See, John the Baptist, you know, to me, he's a hero. He's something to, uh, uh, for us to, to consider is that he never got his ego caught up in it. He kept clear what his purpose, his mission was, was to point to Jesus Christ. And so when he comes... These two were able to release themselves from this sense of loyalty to John the Baptist because of a higher purpose. So, you know, for us, it has implications in terms of discipleship and the, uh, the type of relationships we have so that Christ might use us to influence others that he brings uh, in our life. So uh, these two disciples follow. Now, that doesn't mean, even though they followed, that doesn't mean they um, didn't have questions. They didn't have doubts. In fact, we read on going here in verse 38, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Now, now, now look at this and think about it. This is, uh, this is God. He knows all. But he's asking them, what do you want? Because again, this master disciple maker, this what, what, what we can get here, how he draws people out by asking this question because he's going for a depth of understanding. And they said, Rabbi, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said, come and you will see. So he fanned the flame of the curious, the curious, tried to enlarge that. And so I asked the question, um, where 
do you create space for the curious? Where do you create space for the curious? That it would draw them to Jesus Christ. Uh, a fourth observation we, we see in verse 42. Uh, Jesus Christ challenges one's identity. This is where we have, and he brought um, Simon Peter. Uh, Andrew brought his brother, Simon Peter. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon now, the son of John. You will be called Cephas. We hear that Jesus Christ, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he gives a name change. He's saying, Peter, your identity is no longer a fisherman, a brother of Andrew. You're no longer the impulsive one to be noted as the impulsive one. Those are all roles and relationships that we might use to describe you. But now that you receive Jesus Christ, your identity, your essence of being, what gives you value is now you are a child of God. You now are a minister or a servant of Jesus Christ. We're all called to be servants or ministers. Minister just meaning servant of Jesus Christ. You are an heir of God, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. You now need to learn to live out of that new identity. As you go about life, Find ways to leverage, to understand how you're still living under an old identity rather than this new identity because I'm calling you to walk away from the ways that you in the world used to identify yourself. Those are all still roles, duties, and obligations we all perform, but that's not what gives you your value, your worth. It's because you are created in the image of God. You receive Jesus Christ. And so here's one of the ways I felt that, you know, if, if this is still embedded in you, that you could, uh, you know, as you go about life, how you can use life as a laboratory is by identifying confessed seeds of judgmentalism. You know, uh, when, when does judgmental attitudes arise in your mind, whether it's in a church setting, whether it's in a group, at work, wherever it be? Because it shows that you are evaluating people based upon an external or a world system. You are bestowing an identity based on some very uh, trivial, um, temporary matters. When you start seeing people created in the image of God, and even if they haven't received Jesus Christ, that they have the potential of receiving Jesus Christ and being a co-heir and being a child of God, it bestows value and worth upon them. Now, that doesn't mean uh, we, we quit be judging things and even judging people, or you know, often within uh, circles, we would call that discernment because we're called to be discerning. But judgmentalism is when we are overly critical. And we're overly critical for selfish reasons. 
Judgmentalism serves the self. Discernment, or a healthy judge, is to protect and glorify the righteousness of God. Something totally different. We can't fool ourselves by, you know, wanting to mask over our, our judgmentalism by saying, oh, I'm protecting the righteousness of God. And the last one, um, uh, again, where I see Jesus Christ uh, leveraging life to help build disciples, and how he goes about it is, is his engagement with uh, Nathaniel in verses 43 through 49. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth. <sighs> Can't believe it. Nazareth. Can anything good possibly come from there? Obviously not. Philip just said, come and see. Again, see the curious. See how it's being drawn out. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, Jesus says to him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You know, Jesus Christ is telling Nathanael, you know, Nathanael, you're just fooling yourself. See, I know you are a true Israelite. I know that there is no guile. Some translations would say there's no guile within him. Uh, Jesus Christ knows the inside of Nathanael before Nathanael says anything. Jesus knows what is real that's really embedded in, in the heart. We have the ability to hide ourselves and mask ourselves publicly and to some degree fool our own selves. But that's all that's happening. We're fooling our own selves and fooling it. Not Jesus. Uh, Nathaniel, I knew you. You're a person without guile. You, you, you said that could anything good come from Nazareth? That's who you are. You're going to speak forthrightly. You're just going to get it out there. But then he also announces to him, you know, I also know you're outside, Nathaniel. I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Jesus is calling Nathaniel to become an authentic follower of his. Because you might fool yourself, you might fool others, but you're not going to fool me, Nathaniel. Life certainly gives us great opportunities to learn about this authenticity that Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ calls disciples to take on. That because of life, it could be scary. So I put one of the steps is to take risk. Learn to take risk. Learn to uh, find yourself more secure in your identity being in Jesus Christ. Uh, because this authenticity is what is such a testimony 
to an unsaved people. Because they experience the wilderness. They experience barrenness. The large reason people will turn their back on Jesus Christ is not the message of Jesus Christ, but it's the lack of authenticity amongst Christians. We are all in this disciple-making laboratory of life together. Our mission is to help people be disciples of Jesus Christ with both a breadth, breadth, and depth of knowledge and relationship, and relationship, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In life, depth is forged. For that reason, we put an emphasis in getting in groups beyond this worship crowd. That's why come September, when fall starts, you'll be an emphasis in finding a life group to do life together so that you can engage life as God's laboratory. And with the help of other brothers and sisters, you're bringing some of these lessons back and helping to allow them to go deeper as you verbalize those. You're learning to integrate scripture into your mind so it becomes a filter in which you do engage in life. Verbally, verbalizing the lessons in life about yourself and your relationship with God is one of the powerful ways that begins to sink deeper into your life. So join me in prayer. Father, God, you are a gracious God. Uh, Jesus Christ, the master disciple maker. Always teaching. Sometimes when disciples didn't even know. So God, have a, our eyes open. May we be lifelong students. May we never tire of growing as followers of yours and maturing in what it means to be a Christ follower. Quicken us to receive the lessons you have for us. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.